This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Here comes Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the left. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top. Of the Kings record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Fox into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like Kings basketball. Welcome back to another episode of the Kings Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here, as we always do. How you doing, Rich? What to do, baby? Kings are two wins straight now. Two and five. Quite the recovery. You excited as I am here, Brendan? I am. Uh, I don't think we were very optimistic going into that Utah game, and I think we made a lot of uh, a lot of we put a lot of thoughts out there after after the zero and five start. Um, and now there's a little bit more reason to have some optimism after there was none before. And maybe we can start with this Utah game ended one hundred two one hundred one in favor of Sacramento. The first time that we saw the new jerseys in court, which looked amazing, by the way. But what were some of your main takeaways from this uh, Utah game? Jerseys were hot. Absolutely, absolutely feeling that. I mean, that, I just want that to be their whole, their whole thing. I know, I know I'm, a, I, I'm a, a weirdo for just not – I like the Kings very, very much. Love the Kings. Don't love the purple. I've, I've been really down on the whole Kings aesthetic for like a decade. But – but yeah, loving the red and blue. And let me say about all the negative things we said uh, on our last episode came out Friday morning. I don't think that any of them were unwarranted. We weren't super hard, you know, against this team. But I think that anyone who is watching this this Kings team play would agree with pretty much everything we were saying. Agreed. I just didn't have faith that they would come out and show a level of effort um, because like we said, I mean, I think we mentioned a couple of times they got punched in the mouth over and over and over and they were not getting back up and showing some fight. And then they finally did that these last two games. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that they got hit enough times that they finally bounced back and snapped, snapped out of it and gave maximum effort against the jazz. Although I will say that a team that needs to be punched in the mouth five times consecutively in order to give effort on the court is not a team that I expect to make the playoffs personally. I would agree. Hopefully you don't continuously needed to be punched that many times. Uh, And this Utah game also, um, even though we just saw the Kings get absolutely spanked in Utah, Utah's a team that turns the ball over a lot. And we saw them do that. uh, And Sacramento was able to capitalize off that a little bit. What did you think of, of the pace of this game? The pace was much, much better. Um, from the jump, it was much better. I don't. I'm still hesitant to say that it's like anything we saw last year, but I think that 
they're playing now they've started to play with an above average pace. And we know that going into that game, they were all the way down to 23rd. Um, and this was a weird game because they weren't really shooting it that well, but he healed 0 for 5. The team as a whole, 8 for 29. That's not much volume and not many makes. Uh, so, and even at the free throw line, they struggled. But yeah, I mean, it's crazy to say this about the 2019-20 Kings, but this was an effort win. Yeah, 52 points in the paint uh, stood out to me, especially against a Rudy Gobert team. I think that they were attacking him uh, a good amount, and that was successful in the first half. In the fourth, there was a stretch that they really struggled to score at the end there. But I also think that Utah underperformed a bit here. And credit can be given to the Sacramento effort on the defensive end and kind of getting up in their bodies and forcing, forcing those turnovers. But the Kings had 17 turnovers, the equal amount as Utah, And Utah had 14 points off of it, while Sacramento had 28 off of it. So I thought that Utah wasn't quite capitalizing on opportunities. Yeah, I remember like deep in the game, Utah had zero points off the turnovers. I'm pretty sure that was in the third quarter at that point. They just had no points off of the Kings. Or, yeah, yeah, I think that is correct. It was something – it was either late second or early third. But, um, yeah, this game – I am impressed that they didn't just get out-rebounded uh, entirely. Um, I'm, I mean, they did a little bit, but I'm surprised they didn't get bodied uh, on the glass. And I'm surprised that, like you said, they did win the points in the paint battle. This is a team that you should expect to lose those battles against, um, just on paper. And I wonder if that was part of the wake-up call this team got against Charlotte, because Charlotte really let them take their shots from outside just said, you know, you're not getting to the bucket, go ahead and shoot your shots. And if they, you know, if they, if they land fair enough, and if they don't, we're going to run it down your throat and and beat beat you down. Um, But yeah, they, it seems like the Kings made a real emphasis on getting to the cup and they did a good job. And I was impressed. I'm, I'm really impressed with the efficiency level from Bielitsa and Holmes on offense I'm really impressed with their effort on defense, continuing, Bielitsa especially, continuing to be um, an insanely efficient shooter from beyond the three-point line. I mean, if there was a four-point line, that's where Bielitsa would live. And the multiple alley-oops to Rashawn Holmes, that was a special moment for me. <laughs> yeah, Bielisa has quietly been an outstanding offensive player this season in, in practically every single game. Yeah. Um, and Fox has had his struggles. I think that he he had a few turnovers very early in this game, but he was aggressive in attacking. And this is the second game that we have seen Fox with double digits in free throw attempts. He had 12 in this game, 14 against Portland. Um, he, he made nine of them, which is a uh, – which is a decent rate. Um, I think that you'd like to see him maybe hit one more uh, if we're talking a season average, if he can get to that 80% sort of mark. But he's very doing a very good job of being aggressive and using his body to really um, uh, against shot blockers to avoid them from blocking it and still uh, shooting it on the way down like Fox does so well. Yeah, he refused to be denied in this game. I think that he took this game over. I think he, 
you know, we know that he was unhappy um, or that he at least appeared to be unhappy after the Charlotte game um, in the locker room, chose not to speak with the media, which is fine. I have no interest in criticizing that. Uh, I just think that there was a question of what type of frustration he was feeling. If it was frustration with the team or frustration with himself, frustration with the, the coaching, you know, where was his frustration pointed at? And it seems to me, based on context clues, that he was frustrated with himself and that he's decided to put this team on his back and take it over. And that, you know, that can apply to both games, uh, the Utah the win at home against Utah and the win that we just watched, just got finished watching uh, in Madison Square Garden against the Knicks. Yeah, he killed uh, in that New York game. He has something about those bright lights in MSG. I think uh, one of, if not his best game last year was in MSG. It was a near 30-point triple-double, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, One note on Buddy Heald. So he didn't hit a three in this game, something he only did four times all of last year. We know he struggled shooting a little bit, but – no free throw attempts, and he's done a really poor job of driving this year. It feels like he is really searching for that shot and wanting it to drop. Last year, uh, 23% of his looks came at the rim, and so far in the six games this year, it has only been 12%. Have you noticed that from Buddy? Well, first of all, I'll do you one better and note that while Fox had 12 free throw attempts in that Jazz game, the rest of the four starters combined for zero. So that's not great. Um, but yeah, I, you know, Buddy, he's never really been a guy that gets to the line. Um, shockingly low. He's averaging, well, this is before the Knicks game has been accounted into these stats, but he's averaging less than one free throw attempt per game this season. Less than one. Um, and his career high was last year at 2.4. That is not really going to cut it, I don't think, as far as a team that needs to get to the basket. We've talked about this team being kind of weak at getting to the basket for a long time now. I've said it before, but it's worth noting again that just two years ago, the Kings were the worst team in history, in the history of the NBA, in terms of their free throw rate. And saw a little bit of an uptick last year, but not much. Um, it's going to be a, it's going to be a struggle. Um, you know, if Buddy Heald is only going to operate from the outside. Like, we get it. He's an incredible shooter. I never want to take anything about that away from him. But it is, you know, I, do, I will continue to echo what I've said in the offseason, that he's kind of a one-dimensional guy unless he's in the break. Yeah, I thought he's done um, a bit of a better job defensively this year, mainly in regards to fighting through screens. I, I thought that he's been better there, but he still does get lost on moves fairly easily. Uh, there were a couple instances of him overreacting and jumping at pump fakes and things like that. But I've, I've liked a little bit more of his defense in regards to running through screens that were going on through him. And, uh, and this also felt like a nice little game uh, to hopefully break them out of their slumps for Bogdan Bogdanovich and a lesser extent, Dwayne Dedman. Do you think Dwayne Dedman broke out of a slump here? Not quite uh but i think it was a lot better than what we had seen from him mainly on the defensive end because he still shot terribly uh he missed his first five threes 
Um, and he shot them very quickly when he was touching the ball. I thought he was chucking a little bit, hit a big one that was surely good for his confidence, I would think. But I, yeah. I liked what I saw from him on the defensive end this game. I haven't had a problem with him on the defensive end, really, um, this whole season. Uh, the problem that I've had with him is, first of all, uh, the passing. Like He's had some insane, unforced errors passing the ball. And then secondly, the shooting has been horrific. And he did have that big make late in the game. Chose a great time to finally get a make. But one for six on the night from three um, against the Jazz. 0 for one tonight against the Knicks. It's really, 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 really grim. I believe he's down to like 15% shooting from three. Which... I mean, there's no way that keeps up, right? Well, obviously not that low, but do you think he gets somewhere to even above 35%? He was 38 last year? No, definitely. I I definitely don't think that this will keep up. I think that we're seeing a guy in a huge, huge slump. But I would just push back slightly on your statement that this is a breaking the slump game. So I haven't seen him break his slump yet. Yeah, fair enough. Definitely um, that offensive, the shooting is still not there in regards to that. Are you currently paying off student debt? Interested in improving your financial literacy or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. I feel like this team is, we mentioned them getting to the paint, but I feel like it's not quite the restricted area. Have you felt like there's been a lot of, uh, floaters in a way for this team like this short mid-range shot well this might be a good time to transition into the Knicks game fully do we want to do that here yeah I think that's fine actually let's name a pulse performer of that of that Utah game first and let's mention that Harrison Barnes had the putback winner because um, he you know he takes a lot of flack for getting paid a lot of money Um, I think that he's worth that money you know maybe not every dollar of it but I think with the context of the declining contract and with what else was out there you know I I have no problem with Barnes being on this payroll at the level that he is and it's plays like that that reinforce my confidence in that sure he's a little bit overpaid but I think that he's been actually one of the strongest most solid pieces on this team so far and yeah Pulse Performer Of this game, I mean, I'm searching for someone outside of Fox, but I think you just – I want to kind of give it to, like, the Bielitsa-Holmes duo because I just love them so much. I love watching them play, but I I do have to give it up to Fox. I'm saying there that Bielitsa is my second, but it's definitely going to Fox here. Um, I I think that's an easy pick there. And then, yeah, what what did you want to start with on this this New York game? Yeah, so let's start with what you were mentioning about the you're you're referring to it as the floater range and that's a correct terminology but what i've been seeing more is pull-ups in floater range so short mid-range pull-ups and 
you know, I guess that's understandable to some degree when Mitchell Robinson is in there or like, you know, Rudy Gobert's in there, something like that. But Mitch Robinson didn't even, he wasn't really what was causing that. I don't think so much tonight. He came off the bench, but I, I think the game plan seems to be to wall off the paint or at least wall off the restricted area for the Kings um, and drop and force the Kings to shoot it. And yeah, so I'm definitely seeing that Fox had a lot of pull-ups in that mid range. Yeah. And he hit him at a good rate, especially in this New York game. I think the entire team was hitting a lot of those. Uh, New York was switching everything. So they definitely had a lot of opportunities to blow past guys. And then like you mentioned, there was another defender there waiting for them. They were hitting those. There was a couple of times De'Aaron Fox got uh, Bobby Portis switched onto him. And one possession, he even just walked up a couple steps and popped it. Like De'Aaron Fox could get to wherever he wanted on the floor this game. Um, but again, this is another game where I, I think that the Kings played better in that Utah game. But this New York one was the Knicks just playing terrible. Like trying to play out of the low post, going to their big men and like Julius Randle, Bobby Portis. And the Kings did a nice job of sending, spending a double team at the right time, right when the big was about to make their move. But New York was, was playing terrible and Sacramento was taking advantage of it. Yeah, um, let's get the final score out there. It was 113 to 92. Kings blowout win. I mean, there was a 70, uh, excuse me, a 30 point margin in the third quarter. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I am personally, the Kings played better, certainly better than we saw them play against Charlotte. But this to me felt more like the Knicks were playing horrifically bad basketball than then the Kings were playing incredible basketball. Yeah, I agree. The only two guys that I felt like uh, played decently on the New York side were Marcus Morris and RJ Barrett, even though Barrett came on a little bit later in the game where it felt like he started to have an impact. Um, yeah, and I still think that you do have to take advantage of a bad team in a way. Like there were times where Sacramento – with the way that they were playing in say the first game very much could have let New York stay in this game. So I think they had to do things not terribly pretty much, which I guess we couldn't say for a good amount of the first five games. So it's a step in the right direction. And then another thing we didn't mention actually in that, uh, in that Utah game was this was the first time Sacramento didn't lose a third quarter by at least 10 points they lost by two there <laughs> I love that caveat of by at least 10 points yeah it's they terrible did, they did lose the quarter yes they lost it by two on a Jeff Green buzzer beater three that I was oh, yeah. uh, that's your boy. I was pissed at yeah <laughs> and then they uh they won their first third quarter against the New York Knicks 29 to 23 but hopefully that gets some of their uh it, there definitely was a mental aspect to it and hopefully that helps kick that out of the way a little bit yeah, and they won the second half by a point. Um, that doesn't matter too much because a lot of the fourth quarter was pseudo garbage time. But yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, I think that I think that the Kings played pretty well. I, I was, I get nervous when the Kings, ha, uh, you know, are developing a lead based purely on outside shooting because it's not going to continue forever. Heald hit his first three three-pointers, um, and the rest of the game went 
two of eight. So, you know, that's the type of thing where when you're shooting so well off the bat, that's great. And I'm not going to turn my nose up at a lead, but you got to do more than just hit shots if you're going to win the basketball game. And, and eventually they did. So, yeah, no, I, I, I think they did play better than we've seen. Would you say that this game against the Knicks was more impressive or the game against the Jazz was more impressive? I would say against the Jazz because that is a team that, even though I thought they played worse than they normally do, uh, they're definitely a higher tier team. And especially after not having a win, a game that you were not quite expected to win, I think going into New York, uh, I would have favored the Kings to win that game. Um, that breaking the momentum of having five straight losses against a quality Utah team was was more impressive to me, even though this was a blowout in MSG. Yeah, I agree. I think a one-point win against the Jazz is more impressive than a 21 win against the New York Knicks. But yeah, um, Bielitsa, again, I thought played really, really well in this game. Um, six assists from him. He has been, I mean, if we're talking about MVP of the year so far, you've got to go Fox just by default. And then Holmes has made so much noise that he's probably getting runner up. But Bielitsa is like on the podium right now as top three. He really is. Like his playmaking blows my mind sometimes. The way that he, he cuts closeouts he attacks closeouts which they have to close out three feet behind the three-point line because this guy's a maniac and will professor big shot you from anywhere on the court um and when he attacks those closeouts he gets up in the air and makes the pass that's like two steps ahead of the defense it's it's great to see from him um in this new york game it when they were going into it, New York was the best offensive rebounding team in the league. And a lot of that was with uh, Mitchell Robinson and Julius Randle, obviously being a very big team. Um, I, I realized that the, the Kings did a very good job in regards to rebounding. Obviously it was, uh, they actually won the rebounding battle by 10, which is a nice little margin and tied with nine offensive rebounds with New York. But I noticed that they had, two, three guys every time going after those defensive rebounds. And boxing out, they did a good job of it, but that sacrificed the pace a little bit. What do you think about uh, the balance between those two? Yeah, I think it is a give and take, and it's a great point. I'm glad you brought it up. It's something that I was thinking about myself because I've been on this, this point for a while where I feel really strongly that Luke Walton is emphasizing – half-court play, emphasizing uh, defense and, and collecting rebounds and controlling the half-court tempo, He's, he wants to slow things down and do things right rather than push the pace. Like, for sure, I think that's what's happening. We've gotten some mixed comments where I, I don't think that there's a ton of transparency with that being the game plan, but it's really clear to me that's what's happening. Um, Luke will tell you he wants the team to run, and he'll also tell you he wants the team to uh, defensive rebound. Uh, he wants the team to play in the half court well. you know. So he'll tell you that he wants them to do everything, and but I just don't think that you can. So personally, 
I think that I actually would prefer to see this team get out and run because I think that's what their strengths are. There are guys on this team that sure can play solid half court basketball. I think that plays towards the strengths of Ariza, Barnes, Bielitsa. Barnes can kind of go either direction there, but the majority of this team I think would be better off running. And I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't expect this team to, to be like top five or even top 10 in rebounding, no matter what happens this season. So, but I do think that this team could be top five, definitely top 10 in pace. Agreed. Yeah. You got to give up some things to really play to your strengths. And uh, I think that I'm totally on board with what you're saying there. Um, We haven't seen, it's interesting, like even Fox will, have the ball in his hands and seemingly could get numbers if he pushed it uh, defensive still having their back turned. And he clearly is not doing that. It's still, it's still a thing that we have, uh, that we have noticed. And hopefully like you're saying, Walton uh, emphasizing these weaknesses and focusing on it is just something that he's looking to improve early in the year. And then you can implement it in smaller fashions where, okay, the, one or two guys that are staying in defensive rebounding, making sure that you're doing it the right way while the other guys get out and run. Um, So hopefully there becomes a balance of that. Um, Were there any other things that stood out to you in this New York game? I know we said it was pretty much a blowout here. Well, I will say that I think that's what we're seeing. What you were talking about there, the push-pull between – running on the break and securing defensive rebounds. I think that push pull is what's causing a lot of these struggles early on because there's growing pains in that transition for this team, because they are playing in a lot of ways, the opposite style that they played last year. And that's gonna, it's gonna throw a wrench in the works early on. So you know, I don't know if that was the smartest way to approach it if you expected the Kings to make the playoffs this year. But, you know, if you're Luke Walton and you've got a four-year – what is it? Three or four – it's a four-year uh, deal that he's working on and he's thinking in the long term, then, you know, maybe that makes sense for him to completely integrate his – his new set of way, his way of doing things. And it's gonna, it's gonna look ugly with some growing pains early on, but in the long term, everyone's hoping that this works out for the best. But yeah, I mean, to me, that's, that's the best explanation we can have of the 0-5 start and the frustration amongst the players early on. Yeah. And, uh, Let's name a pulse performer of this one too before we move into maybe some more general uh, things that we've seen in the seven games total or a preview of Toronto. Is there a, is there a clear guy for this, for this New York game? Yeah, for me it's Darren Fox again, although I really am tempted to give uh, something to Bealitz. I, I really want to get him in the mix at some point and show him love. But, yeah, I, I think it's, it's got to be – Fox because he's taken over two consecutive games now that's the Fox that the Kings want to see that Sacramento wants to see the fans want to see every single night if he can be that guy every single night I'm not necessarily saying the performance the you know the numbers but yeah if he can have that mentality every night then the Kings are are looking looking pretty solid 
Yeah, and I think he showed a couple times this year that he can have a five-minute stretch of doing most of it by himself. There was a stretch in that in that Portland game where he really started to take over when the third quarter got rough, and he's doing a lot of it by obviously blowing past his guy and getting to the free throw line. Again, 10 free throw attempts in this New York game, uh, six assists, and three t- turnovers. There still have been a lot of turnovers for Fox. That's something that he will eventually clean up a little bit but buddy healed hit his shots a little bit better in this game as well um and the second unit looked a little bit more promising as well right it felt like the offense had a little bit more movement to it and less of just a pick and roll with three other guys standing around i agree but i also wonder how much of that is a reflection on the knicks defense you know i I just think they weren't really up against anything serious yeah, they were also they were switching everything and messing up those switches fairly often as well. They they were, yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, do you want to do that's about all I got for the next game, but do you want to do some factor fiction here? Let's do it. All right. Factor fiction. Nemanja Bjelica is the best pure passer on the Sacramento Kings. <laughs> That is fiction. A serious question. I, I understand, but that's fiction. As much as I love it. Don't you dare laugh. It's, it's a De'Aaron Fox. It is De'Aaron Fox. I don't know that I agree. Um, yeah, I don't know. I actually think that that may not be the case. <laughs> okay, okay. Fact or it, fiction, Bielitsa is the best three-point shooter on this team. Oh. <laughs> 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 Oof. I'm going to say, this oh, is man. disrespectful how long this you're is really, right now. <laughs> I, I think today you put Bielitsa and Buddy in a three-point shooting contest, Bielitsa's taking it. So if you're giving me, like, over the season, of course it's Buddy Heald. But today, I think that Bielitsa is the best <laughs> passer and the best three-point shooter on the Sacramento Kings Let's end the podcast. <laughs> so in the next game against Toronto, and it's a two it's a two-point game, and somebody, Bielitsa or Buddy Heald, you get your choice, has a wide open three in the corner. Belly. I think so right now. And that's hilarious. It is pretty hilarious. Um I got a, another factor fiction for you here. Bogdan Bogdanovich has zero chance at winning sixth man of the year in the NBA this season. Oof. Um, not zero chance, so I'll go fiction, but it's, it is pretty low. He is, he is starting rough. Um, and we mentioned the second unit being a little bit better of movement tonight, but there are still plenty of moments where nothing is going on in that lineup. Yeah, it's pretty bad. I I didn't actually notice. I've been trying to keep a watch on if he's coming off the bench first. Did you happen to catch that? It was Ariza again, which yep. actually I've kind of come Don't to understand dare. a little bit more in the Don't way that Ariza is playing with the starters and then Bielitsa, I mean, uh, Bogdanovich is fully running that second unit. I think that it's unacceptable to have a player of Bogdan Bogdanovich's quality coming off the bench, you know, as the seventh or eighth, often the eighth man. It's. Yeah, that is much. And he should get more total minutes than Ariza. 
way more. Yes. Um, so just going to read off his stats so far this year. So this is his stats minus the New York game, and then I'll read the New York game as well. But he's averaging 24 minutes, you know, respectable. But he's shooting 32% from the field, 30% from three, 10 points total, three assists. You know, that is – I think that we, we really thought – and Tim Maxwell as well, who's on here, I believe at least two of the three of us picked him for sixth man of the year. Did you pick? No, I think it was just Tim. But we, both you and I, thought he had a legitimate chance to win that award. And to me, that's gone. I, I think that it's, it's a fact that he's got zero chance. I mean, if he's not even coming off the bench first, if he's not really getting a ton of minutes, here's his line from tonight, 19 minutes. Two of eight from the field. Seven of those eight shots were from three, by the way. And he only hit two of them for a total of six points, three assists, two turnovers, minus seven. It's really not great. He's having a horrific start to the year. He is. And similarly to Buddy, he's not getting to the rim at all. I mean, I think along with Buddy Heald, Bogdanovich really needed to improve his finishing around the rim, but you still need to be able to get there sometimes with the, with the amount of pressure that your three-point shot should be applying, that you should be able to get past guys. Bogdanovich is a crafty ball handler, but 12% of his attempts at the rim last year, or this year, 10% worse than what was last year, and he's only making 33% of his attempts at the rim. So, I mean, the three-point shot isn't falling, but he's not doing himself any favors. Yeah, I am. That's why I'm not into the concept of him coming off the bench as the eighth guy and kind of replacing Fox's role as the primary initiator because he's not good at it. I, I've been saying this for a long time. I've been saying this since the preseason. I do not want – since before that, since the end of last season, I don't want him being – the primary initiator of any lineup. I think it's fine to have him as the off-ball guard. I think that's great. I, I think that's where he should be. He should. He's really a two-guard. And, you know, I think that it'd be okay to bring him off the bench and have a three-guard lineup and just have him kind of spotting up. But I do not want him dribbling the ball around because that's all he does. He gets the ball yeah. and he just dribbles the air out of it. Yeah, you know, I think the second unit offense is missing Bielitsa a lot. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform, they give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey guys, just want to give you a quick reminder that if you like what you're listening to, we'd really appreciate a quick rating and review of the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're getting this podcast. And if you want to follow us on Twitter We'd love to interact with you. We can take your questions, answer them on the podcast as well. That is at Kings underscore Pulse. We also got an Instagram, Kings underscore Pulse. And we are the official podcast of uh, Reddit r slash Kings. We got a sticky thread on there if you want to ask questions. So we really appreciate it. And and thank you very much for listening. So here's another fact of fiction for you. 
when Marvin Bagley is healthy and returns, he should come off the bench. Ooh. This is a good one. Yeah, um, this one posited by Tim Maxwell, the aforementioned Tim Maxwell. I uh, saw him talking about that, yeah. Huh. Um, when he was saying that, first thing I thought is that you go back to Deadman because Deadman was brought to be the perfect pairing next to Bagley, uh, both of them in the starting lineup. And then your bench unit really does get um, – does get a nice boost in the way that we kind of expected it to be, especially from those bigs. Bielitsa and Holmes being in that second unit next to Bogdanovich could really help him. But I don't know the way that Bielitsa is playing with these starters, and we're mentioning needing some some go to scoring on the bench. I think that Bagley, especially coming back from an injury, I think you start him on the bench. Um, and then if he plays his way back into the starting lineup, then so be it. But I think at first you put him on the bench. Yeah. So this was my response to Tim was just that there's another month for belly and Denman and Rashawn Holmes to play, to see, you know, I think that Holmes and belly could come back to earth a little bit and Deadman could get himself right. So I, I think that it's, Kind of silly to ask this question now, but it's a fun exercise. So, Bielitsa was so hot to start last year as well. Rank the rank those three bigs in order of how they're playing right now: Belly, Holmes, and uh, Deadman. Hmm. Um, well, Deadman's well, last. Yeah, so I was going to say Deadman, Deadman's last. Um, hmm. This is interesting. Probably Holmes first. Um, I, I think that. He's had more of an impact on the defensive end, even if he has struggled a bit there, uh, especially in regards to fouls and being a little bit late into getting in position. Um, yeah, and I, I think that Bielitsa is just a tad bit behind him there. It is close, though. I think you're being too low on Bielitsa. I'm going to go buy a Bielitsa jersey in the royal blue and red, I think. That's going to be my <laughs> next purchase when they make that available. Um, because the reason I asked it, and then where would you slot in Marvin? Assuming Marvin Bagley is the Bagley that we expect him to be in terms of what we saw in the preseason and then the first game, um, and I guess you could say a little bit towards the end of last season, where he is, where do you assume that he would be slotted into that for? Uh, well, if we're doing that, then I'm all, like also assuming where Deadman is supposed to be. Uh, I'm just saying in terms of... Yeah, I mean I, that's that's fair. So all right, let me break down. Let me break it down. Let me let's let's throw away that that line of logic and just say it like this. What I'm trying to get to is that Holmes and Bagley seem to kind of play the same role, and Deadman and Belly seem to kind of play the same role. Right. In term, right? Would you agree that it's like it's it's about the stretch, or are you a role man, or are you a spot up man? Offensively, yes. But, I mean, defensively, none of these guys are that different. Yeah, that's fair. So I think that you you create your lineups based on having a roller and a shooter. So it seems like Bielita Holmes is a great combo. And then, obviously, what Luke Walton wanted was Deadman Bagley to start. And that also seemed, you know, in theory, if one wasn't hurt and one wasn't in an all-time slump, would be a great combo as well, right? 
Yeah, I think so. But the pairing that is questionable of a roller and a shooter is can you have Deadman and Holmes on the floor together, which I don't think you can. That's fine. And uh, yeah, so I, I think that that it goes back to the question of who do you start? It is Bagley. Say he's not like coming back from injury. Say he is when Bagley is 100% healthy. Are you going back to Deadman Bagley? Are you going Bagley Bielitsa? And then you got Holmes Deadman off the bench? What are you doing? I I would like a belly Bagley uh, just in regards to who I think would be best next to Bagley, but I don't think that works with the bench of being, unless actually, you know, the first sub could be Deadman for, for Bielitsa, something like that. But I think I'm just going back to what the starting lineup was on opening night. Yeah, I think that there's a case for what you're saying there with belly Bagley. I think that's the, that's the combo that we haven't really considered, but it might be the best option because it is what the Kings did last year with, with uh, Bagley in for Willie Coley Stein, which I think was always the sensible way to go. But I mean, I just, I can't get on board for Denman starting until we see him turn it around. So for now I would probably pair, I would probably start Bagley because you just gotta play him minutes, like period. You just gotta get him minutes. He's he's the second piece of the future for this franchise, uh, and I think I would probably pair Deadman and Holmes off the bench together, which would be a lot of rim protection at least. But and I don't know if Belly Bagley would get you a ton of rim protection on on the first unit. But yeah, I mean it's tough. Um, it's tough. A- any final thoughts on that? On that? I mean, there's no. We don't got to come to a conclusion today. You know, we got plenty of time. Where does Harry Giles fit into all of this when he comes back? I got news for you, man. This team doesn't want Harry Giles on their in their future plans. I like, I, I'm. Let me qualify that by saying that it's complete conjecture based on nothing, going absolutely contrary to what the team is saying. But I'm sorry if you decline the option, uh, like a pretty small option, when it doesn't affect your cap space whatsoever. Um, it's a pretty clear statement to me. And, and yeah. I'm sorry, but like that's, I, I don't think that this team has any interest in, I mean, why would you give minutes to a player that you specifically have hamstrung yourself to being able to retain in the future? He's no longer a guy they're trying to develop because they, you know, they've, they're, it's very unlikely they'll be able to retain him. Right. Yeah. He's going to go into unrestricted free agency. I think that if that second unit was really struggling on the offensive end, that maybe Giles' playmaking could really help someone like Corey Joseph, who I think is a really smart cutter, but we haven't been able to see that very often. But uh, also on top of what you said and going with the argument, there's not very many minutes for Harry Giles when he does come back. No, definitely not. I mean, yeah, it's really sad. I, I think that, I think Harry Giles has been a fan favorite for a while. Everyone is rooting for him, and I don't doubt that the team is also rooting for him. I think the team wants him to do well, but I just there's absolutely no reason to expect that they're going to continue to invest in him the minutes that, that we're talking about to become relevant in this rotation. Yeah. Do you want to move on to this uh, Toronto preview? That is the next game for the Kings, and it continues this East Coast road trip uh, up there in Canada against the 4-2 and two Raptors on Tuesday. Yeah, please. Um, what do you think the Kings' chances are? 
Well, this is a team that, I mean, we saw the Kings really not like to drive in. Uh, Well, they have been driving, but then they're also, like you mentioned, uh, settling for that floater range a bit. And the Toronto Raptors are the best opponent two-point percentage and field goal percentage. A lot of that goes to Mark Gasol and Sergi Baca, obviously. Um, They're a great rebounding and passing team, more so on the defensive end than the offensive, which fares uh, somewhat well for the Kings, who have struggled with some offensive rebounding from other teams at times. Um, And I think matchups are okay, That and that the Kings, this is a time where they could really utilize that pace But the big question for me here is who guards Pascal Siakam? And he's become a guy where it's, you're not going to stop him. You're only going to contain him. Like he has been absolutely amazing this year. 26 points a game, eight and a half rebounds on 48% from the field, 42% from deep so far. Who do you feel like is the best matchup for Siakam? You know, I'm torn here between Barnes and Holmes. I think we've talked about in our in our sort of uh, season team by team matchup preview a couple of weeks back. We threw Holmes on a lot of guys, and I think that our bullishness on Holmes has been rewarded. However, the foul trouble is has been the big downside for Holmes. I think you probably stick Barnes on Siakam to start, and. Man, I mean, I don't, I do not want to see Ariza on him at all. That's just not going to work out great. I don't know. Um, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I think you do need to go Barnes. I, I think that a lot of teams last year tried to put bigs, like we saw Philadelphia specifically put Embiid on Siakam um, in the playoff matchup. But this year, with the way that Siakam's shooting that three ball, um, it is a lot harder to put bigs on him. Like I mentioned, 42% from deep on five and a half attempts per game. Uh, he is letting it fly from down there at a ridiculous rate and percentage. Um, yeah, I think that Barnes is the best matchup there. And then I guess that um, Bielitsa is guarding OG Ananobi, which can be fine. Um, he's not the biggest threat as an outside shooter. Uh, he's hitting him at a decent rate, but I guess more so about getting blown past. Um, the one positive for this Toronto team uh, that the Kings could take advantage of is that they're 26 in turnovers. They turn the ball over a lot, similarly to a uh, Utah team that we just played. Yeah. I, I mean, personally, I'm pretty low on this matchup. I think that the jazz, the win against the jazz was that, finally you know get punched in the face enough that you stand up and do something and I think that this king I mean this uh Knicks game is kind of the reverse of that where like this team was so lifeless against them that I don't know that it like amps them up I think that they they probably uh have been lulled back into a little bit of false security and I think the Raptors are a very good team I'm pretty sure they beat the Kings last year without Kawhi uh, so I, I don't know. I, I think that the Raptors have been very good without Kawhi, even going back to last year, 17 and five without him. I think they're a really good team. And I think that the length will give the Kings a bunch of fits. Yeah. And I think of how Ricky Rubio was able to pick apart um, the Sacramento defense, given that 
I mean, Sacramento played absolutely terrible that game, but they have their defensive lapses still. And playing another very smart distributor and point guard on Kyle Lowry, who could pick them apart in the same way. Um, who do you think will score more points between Kyle Lowry, averaging 24 a game, and De'Aaron Fox, who before the New York game was averaging 17? I'll go De'Aaron Fox. I don't think that Lowry has to do a lot of the scoring. I think that he's probably going to be more the deferring type of guy. What's his assist average? I know he was leading the league for most of last year. Yeah, I think he was. Yeah, he definitely was. He was six point, He's 6.8 so far this year. I, I would guess personally that he's probably going to pass a little more than score com- relative to the first six games of their season. So I'll, I'll go Fox here. I think Fox knows he's got to do – not necessarily do it all, but got to do a lot more than he's used to doing. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, like you mentioned, I think that there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of passing and picking apart Sacramento defense from Kyle Lowry. And then I got another interesting one for you. Uh, I caught Toronto's first game and a couple others, but specifically in their first one against the Pelicans. Uh, Melly, the new guy on the Pelicans, a stretch four slash five that they brought over from overseas, great three-point shooter, really took Gasol out of the game on the defensive end. He's too slow to be defending the perimeter and getting back inside and still have that rim protection there. What do you think the over-under on Dwayne Dedman getting 25 minutes in this game is to try and attack that Gasol attack in the perimeter? Hmm. It's a good question. I mean, so you're saying that you think that Dedman could get a lot of minutes defending Gasol? Uh, Gasol defending him more so because Gasol has Pulling really – him out. Yeah. But, I mean, obviously he has to hit the threes. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, if this were the normal Dwayne Dedman, I'd go over. But I just don't – I don't have any faith in, in Dedman right now. What you got to do – I think when a team has got – when a player is slumping this bad, is I'll just bet against them until they turn it around. And I don't feel comfortable or confident in identifying the game when they do. I think that it will happen. But I'm, I'm not, like, putting any, any big stake in it happening at a, at a specific date and time. Yeah, fair enough. Hopefully this is, uh, presents a decent opportunity for him to potentially break out of that slump a little bit. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm with you here that I think that the Kings end up losing this game. And the next game, looking a little bit further ahead, they're going to play Atlanta. But if they can come out of this road trip 2-1, that's pretty successful, right? 2-1, absolutely. I mean, listen, it's um, they'll have a win percentage that is infinitely better than what they had before. Um, you can multiply zero as many times as you want. You'll never get to uh, two thirds. So yeah, I mean, to me, it would be a success. Yeah, definitely agree. And I think Atlanta, another team that turns the ball over a lot. So hopefully we can see some pace in these next two games, but that's pretty much all I got here, Rich. Anything else you want to throw in? That's it, man. I am greatly relieved that the Kings have gotten on the board this season and Hey, they did it twice back to back. Um, undefeated in the month of November, winless in October. I don't know. Maybe it's like a, a month-to-month thing with this team. Hopefully they, you know, hopefully hopefully it really is. And uh, I don't know how that would work out in the end. I don't know if that would – I haven't done the math on that. But 
I guess it, it'd be pretty close to a, a 500 team, pretty close to a playoff team. Let's see, uh, a, you know, a 12 and 0 November. But no, truly and realistically, you've got to be relieved as a Kings fan about these last two performances. To me, it still doesn't spell the return of the Kings to what we thought that they would be, but it's a lot damn closer than it was last Friday. Agreed. It's nice to see um, the games are actually watchable now. So like we mentioned, tune into that next game on Tuesday in Toronto, see how Sacramento can fare against a very good Raptors team. And we are debuting a new segment that will be at the end of every episode. Shout out to Rich for the great name. It is the 916th man. We are going to get different listeners to come on the show every episode and share their thoughts about the team's play recently and have a couple different questions for the listeners that are participating each day. But if you'd like to be a listener that participates and has your voice on the show to be heard, then stay on the lookout. Uh, DM us on Twitter if you're interested in doing so, and we can set you up for potentially doing that. We'll be doing this at the end of every episode, hopefully getting new people as often as possible. And again, you can... uh, interact with us on our twitter in order to be in the closing minutes of our episode at kings underscore pulse here is the debut of the 916th man hi there uh yeah this is uh walker uh i uh king's twitter i am uh, at sack kings it's lit um it's a little bit of a long story but uh yeah man super excited to be on yeah, you have a gorgeous-looking profile, by the way. Like, your profile picture is amazing, and the header might be the best thing I've ever seen. Hey, man, I appreciate it. That's Cowbell Kingdom. That's my home screen, too. They just took that after the win, after our first win. Nice. I'm going to have to check that one out. But uh, first first question we got for you here, Walker. We'll start with that Utah game. First win of the season. What were uh, what were some of the things that, that you saw in that game? Yeah, man, so... Uh... <laughs> A funny story, I work at a sports bar, and uh, I was actually on shift that game. It was the first game that I was on shift for, and uh, I thought it was, you know, coinc- I didn't really think we were going to go into that game. I was not, you lost my confidence like a lot of Kings fans had at that time, and I thought, if we can't beat the Hornets, you know, who's to say what? And, you know, we came out, and it was from the get-go, I could tell, just walking through the bar, keeping an eye on the game, I was like, this is different. And uh, it was actually funny, at the very end of the game, mind you, the Los Angeles bar. I live in LA. Uh, so we have Lakers fans there, you know, just finishing up, you know, cheering for their overtime win over the Mavericks. I'm the only Kings fan there. I see that Harrison Barnes buzzer beater go in, in my work clothes. I scream. I'm like yelling. Everyone turns to me and they look up at the TV. They realize what happened. Even these Lakers fans started congratulating me. So <laughs> it was good. It was good vibes all around, man. It was a, it was a great first one. There you go, man. That is a, that's a great way to see it. You managed to get the Kings game on in an L.A. bar? Oh, 100%. Well, it's a sports bar. We got about, you know, 10, 12 TVs. So we made sure to have a couple of the games on. But it was only on, like, two of them while the Lakers post game was still in the large TV. So, yeah, it was of course. <laughs> tiny TVs, but still got to see it go in. Right. And then the game that just happened tonight was uh, a lot more comfortable. Second win in a row. What were some of your takeaways from the blowout win in Madison Square Garden? I mean, I was looking at Fox's performance from last year, you know, and I, I was like, all right, some of this can carry over, we'll be solid. And from the get-go, it looked like it was. And uh, I, I just wanted to make sure, you know, it was the third quarter, I was I was worried like any Kings fan, and uh, we won it. And I, once we did that, I was 
I was pretty solid about the rest of the game, even though we had that little bit of a falter late in the game with our uh, second stringers. Uh, Corey Joseph, you know, was a little frustrated when they called that timeout. But, you know, besides that, I mean, that game was nearly flawless. Yeah, they played great. And uh, like you mentioned, I mean, up 20 at halftime, I was like, man, this is comfortable. But if anyone could blow this lead, it's a Sacramento third quarter right now. <laughs> Luckily, it didn't happen. Um, you mentioned Fox balling out. Do you have a, a best and worst player so far this year? Yeah, and uh, I don't want to. I don't want to sound biased. Being slotted in that starting lineup, his production has gone down. It doesn't seem like when I look at the stat sheet at the end of the night, I go, "Wait, I thought he had 22 still," because it still feels like he's playing that hard, and his intangibles make it feel like he's giving you 22 and 12 every night. So I definitely have to give it to Rashawn, even though Fox and Buddy have been leading the way as far as scoring. Um, and then on the flip side of that, I'd still say Dwayne Dedman's got some rust he needs to shake off. He was uh, didn't make a three today, and um, he just looked uh, a little bit a little bit faltered. You know, he didn't have confidence out there when he first got out there. He made a bad foul, and, but you know, I think he found his way. He still needs to still needs to get to the level that we're paying him though. Yeah, hopefully he comes around. It's been mind-blowing how terrible he's been. There's no way that this keeps up in my mind. Uh, last question we got for you, man, is on 0 to 100, rate your confidence level of the playoffs still being possible for this team. Whew. Well, anyone that follows me on Twitter knows that I've been going through the ups and downs pretty hard. And uh, I changed my name from the Sacramento Scores to the Sacramento Good Horses because we're getting beat so much. Um but that being said, <laughs> I do have confidence in this team making the playoffs still. I think that the Mavericks' early season uh, is similar to our early season last year, where we came out, took some people by surprise, young team. Um, they do have the two superstars, which we, you know, on paper, we don't have those all-star level guys, but um, I think Fox and Buddy are at that level. And so on paper, I think they're very similar to us last season. And uh, I, think they're, I think they're more the team to look at to surpass now uh, rather than the Spurs because I think with the Warriors definitely sliding out of the playoffs it looks like there's going to be two slots open so Spurs and the Kings might both be able to fit in there it looks like yeah potentially and uh, is there any other thing that you want to throw in here at all Walker any other thoughts on the team coaching anything like that no, man, I think the, the initial reaction of Luke Walton was a little harsh. I was on, you know, sort of saying that if you're blaming Luke Walton for everything, then you're not blaming the players enough because there was a lack of effort. But I think looking back on that uh, 05 start, where as Kings fans, we're all going to be like, I think we needed that to galvanize this roster. And it uh, seems like we're all working together now, and the barking at one another is more uh, constructive rather than um, guys not knowing where everyone else is at. So. I think those early season yips are over, and uh, I think it's going to be a little bit easier on the way out. I don't want to spoil them too much, so knock on wood. Yeah, hope so. The efforts seem to be a little bit better, so hopefully it stays up for that Toronto and Atlanta game the rest of this road trip. But thanks for coming on, Walker. We appreciate you uh, giving us a little bit of your time here and for listening to the show, man. Hey, man, I, I appreciate it as well. Uh, hopefully, we might be starting a podcast with some of, my, some of my buddies soon after their midterms finish up here in college, so little bit of a Kings Lakers rivalry podcast so anytime I can get on and get a little bit of you know my feet wet in the podcast game I, I really appreciate it man so I'm gonna keep listening to you guys every day I, I really enjoy it
thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Bulls podcast. And you hear from us again in the next couple of days.